So that is a wonderful example. Again, that is the Empowered to Connect. Susan Schlegel's in the back and at a table near our welcome area. And it's April 13th and 14th. It's, an, it's a great opportunity. If you've ever had questions about foster care, about adoption, the impact of that, ways that we can make a dramatic impact in our own community, this simulcast is for you. So we want to let you know about that. But it reminds me of uh, a conversation um, when I came back to Sherwood Oaks. So some of you probably don't know my history and probably would be bored by this, but I'm going to share it anyway. But I came to Sherwood Oaks, Marie and I, in 1985, and we were uh, youth ministers here for nearly nine years. Uh, and then I did some prison time. So anyway, I went about 11 years. So anyway, I went away 11 years, I worked at a couple other churches, and then came back to Sherwood Oaks in 2005, and have been with them this second ride through, and it's been incredible. When I came back the second time, uh, this is a question that they, they asked Sherwood Oaks uh, inwardly that I thought was such a powerful question. If Sherwood Oaks were to just go away, like this Sunday is the last Sunday, just go away, would the community miss Sherwood Oaks? I thought that was a great question because it forced all of us to say, is it all about what we do on Sunday morning or is it about how we make a tremendous impact for Christ in our community? Because that's what the community needs is what we do outside of Sunday morning. And so I am proud to be a part of a church that is doing everything they can to reach out into the community around the world. And hopefully that's the kind of church you want to be a part of. Because folks, it's too easy to go to church and play church. But I hope you want to be a part of a church that is asking the tough questions, is willing to go in the tough places and, and serve one another and serve in our community. And that's what we're going to be getting into these next few weeks, especially some of you that may have been visiting the last few weeks. And you're like, what is this, what is this all about? Like, what is this church all about? Where is this church headed? And we're going to share that with you. And we're going to start with breaking down the church's mission statement. And before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray that we, that we become the kind of church you've called us to be, that we're the kind of church that is willing to take risk, the kind of church that is willing to go where other people may not be willing to go, uh, to roll up our sleeves, to serve, to do whatever it takes to reach those that desperately need you. So Lord, I thank you what Sherwood Oaks has been able to do up to this point, and we're so excited for the future. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. I don't know if you've studied much about mission statements, uh, but here's a definition of what it is. It's a formal summary of aims and values of a company, an organization, or an individual. So before I launch into the, uh, the mission statement here at Sherwood Oaks, I want to share with you a side note, because you may be interested in this. Uh, Claudia Mitchell, who is phenomenal at Sherwood Oaks and has trained countless leaders over the years, one of the things that she does with all the leaders is she walks them through how to write their own individual, personal mission statement. And so I said, Claudia, can you condense that into two pages that I could just give that to anybody who's interested? And she's done that. So at the Welcome Center, um, you can just pick up a free copy of how to develop your own individual, personal mission statement. That's just, I think, a wealth of information. Uh, but what we want to get in today is the mission statement for all the campuses, Sherwood Oaks. So when you hear Sherwood Oaks, what is it that they are standing for and why it's so important? Well, a mission statement can be inspiring or a mission statement can fall flat. So I want to give you a few mission statements that honestly are terrible, okay? So uh, here's the first one I found. Uh, make money, duh. 
Okay, I don't know some of you ever worked for a company like that. Uh, here's the second mission statement, to survive. How many have ever worked for that company? Yeah, that's a great place to work. Now, here's an interesting mission statement from a skydiving school. Here it is. If first you don't succeed, you don't succeed. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, you don't get a second shot at skydiving. Here's the mission statement, Sherwood Oaks. People helping people grow generations of Christ-led influencers. Say that again. People helping people grow generations of Christ-led influencers. So let's just break that down. Now, Andy Stanley uh, is an individual I love. He's just got so many great just tidbits of wisdom and leadership. And one of the things that Andy Stanley says that I, I agree 100%, he said, a mission statement goes on a wall, but it's the systems and the values that move it up and down the halls. In other words, you can have a mission statement, but if you don't have a core set of values and strategies, it's just something you put on the wall. Uh, how many of you have ever gone into an organization uh, and you've looked at their mission statement and you're exhausted by the time you're done reading it? You're like, oh, my land. This was years ago. I don't mean to pick anybody, but I'm going to pick on the hospital. So I remember years ago, I read their mission statement. I'm like, oh, my land, I need a doctor to understand that. I mean, I'm just trying to wade through it. I've been to some Bible colleges and I'll read their mission statement. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. It's just, just thoroughly confusing. So you want a mission statement to be crystal clear, but more importantly, and you're going to get into this, we're going to dive into the next several weeks, what are the values? What are the strategies? Let's get practical how we're going to move that mission from the wall to where we're actually putting it in motion, and we're going to talk about that. So let's break down our mission statement. Number one is people helping people. It just sounds like a song, doesn't it? People helping people. Galatians 6.9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Have you ever, I had a conversation with a guy a while back, and he's talking about a, a church experience, and he said, I mean, that church he said I went to was cold, and he wasn't talking about the temperature. He said, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit had to be there because I felt like I brought it in with me, but when I looked around, I just saw a lot of people that were pretty miserable. How many of you have ever had a church experience like that? Raise your hand. Would you yell that church out the top? No, don't do that. Okay. But you know what that's like. You go in, maybe nobody's smiling, nobody talks to you. I've even talked to folks that have gone to churches and have been moved because some of you say, you're sitting in my spot. I mean, seriously, you've got to be kidding me. But we need to understand how important it is that a church is, first of all, striving to do what is good. And what is good is always just helping someone else. Acts 2, in 38 through 42, it spells out the characteristics of, a, of that kind of church. They were devoted to learning the message and the methods of Jesus. They sold their possessions to help those in need. And I love this. They enjoyed the favor of others. And it made a huge impact. Last week, I shared with you from the resurrection, the ripple effect of the resurrection and Part of that ripple effect was what happened the first hundred years of the church's existence. So I found this, and I love this. This is reported from historians that were asked, would you report what's going on with this Christian movement? And they reported this back to those that were in authority. So the first uh, one comes from Aristides, and he turns this report into Emperor Hardian. Now, I want you to listen to what he says about the first century church. 
every morning and at all hours on account of the goodness of God towards them, they render, I love that, they render praise and they loud that more than food or drink. They just keep giving God praise. And this one's heartbreaking. And when a child is born in this group, they praise God. And if by some chance that child dies, they praise God. They praise him as if that child is going from this world to a better world. And this is the second one from Tertullian reporting about the first century church. They have a treasure chest, but it's not a treasure chest with money built up so that they can have, uh, so they can serve their compulsion, so that they can have drinking bouts or eating houses. Yet they use the money to support, to bury poor people, to supply for the wants and needs from boys and girls destitute of means and parents. Of old people who are confined, they help them. They help those who suffer from shipwrecks, those that are in prisons. They even help infants. That is their world. That's their confession. Now that's the power of an early church movement. And they were driven by the goodness of Jesus Christ. That's what should drive us. At the end of the day is, are we striving to just do good. Let me make it even simpler than that. Are we waking up every morning saying, Lord, today just help me be nice. Now, I realize all of us have suffered with West 3rd Street and I-69. Can I have an amen? I mean, it's not easy. Yeah, that's the loudest amen I'm going to get all year. I mean, I get it. It's not easy to be nice, but there's an impact. A few days ago, or it's like shorter than that. Anyway, Marie and I were eating out, uh, you know, I'm a big spender, uh, at Cracker Barrel. So anyway, we're at Cracker Barrel, and uh, uh, there's a couple that comes walking by our table, a guy stops, and he, he looked at me, and he said, uh, are you a pastor? Because I'm a preacher's kid, and I have a pretty good sense about this. And I said, yeah, I am. And I was about to crack a joke, like, uh, I'm praying for you, you know, and he said, you know what? And he reached out, and he goes, I'm going to pay your bill today, because I appreciate all you do. And tonight, my father's a pastor, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for his meal, too. And I was, I was stunned. And uh, I sat there, and, uh, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to make some changes. So you know what I'm going to do today? I'm having lunch at Cracker Barrel. That's what I'm going to do. No. <laughs> but it, he left, and I, I shared with Maria. I said, you know, I remember this week. There was an opportunity I had. I was standing on it, and there was an older gentleman, and you could tell he was just having a hard time. And my thought was, I should pay for his meal, and I didn't. And so it's just working me over. And I thought, you know, really, Christianity, sometimes we make it too complicated. Really, it starts with, Lord, you're so good, and you are so good to me. I just want to, I want to be good. I, mean, I want to be a nice person because that's really where it starts, just to be nice. The second part of the mission, I love this, is to grow generations. Look at Psalms chapter 78, and we're going to start at verse 2. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter hidden things, things from of old. But we have heard and known what our fathers have told us. 
We will not hide them from their children. Now listen to this. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and his wonders and what he has done. You see the responsibility that all of us have, that every generation knows about the power and the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, do you mind if I share a pet peeve? Some of you are younger like, what does that even mean, a pet peeve? So anyway, ask your parents. It's weird. But it, it just, it's what ticks you off. So anyway, here's what, here's what bothers me is I'll hear church strategists, I'll read articles, and they'll talk about how church plants and different things, and they'll focus on a specific age. Like, our church is designed to reach this age group. There's only one problem with that. That isn't biblical. We're not, we're not driven to reach an age group. We're driven to reach people for Jesus Christ, that all generations come together to share Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, the group, though, we really do need, all generations need to work hard to share Jesus Christ is the younger generation because they live in a cesspool right now. They need the love of Jesus Christ. They need the goodness of Jesus Christ. And guess what? We're all in this together. I love it when I look around, I see all the workers that are helping with our kids, and they're all ages that are working. There's no age discrimination. There's no gender discrimination. We're all in this together. We're here to grow generations, and it makes all the difference in the world. I'd like to brag on somebody that I don't brag on enough, and that is my wife. Uh, the other day I was talking to her because of the, to me it blows me away, so it's Sherwood Oaks East. When you look at child care all the way through preschool, every day of the week, Sherwood Oaks has an amazing outreach. Do you know there's 240 kids at least on a weekly basis that go through that ministry? And my wife does an amazing job, and she, may, she married an amazing man. Okay, so it's, just, it all, it's all amazing. But I want you to think about, in a given week, of all these little ones, and all of you that have grandchildren, and all of you that have little ones, you tell me. How important is it from the moment a child draws their first breath that they know Jesus loves you to the moment you draw your last breath and you know Jesus loves you? It's all about the generations that come together. I think probably one of the greatest, I think, examples of this in nature is if you look at the root system of trees. An oak tree, it's interesting enough, the roots run nearly 10 feet deep to hold those mighty oaks up. What they found, which is uh, interesting, is uh, much shallow is the big, huge redwoods. I don't know if you've ever been out to California or some of the places that have these massive trees. Uh, we've had the honor a few years ago to see these huge redwoods. And if you go, you know that it isn't like a single redwood. Matter of fact, a single redwood, this is, this is unreal. There was a hotel in this little town that we were visiting where we saw the redwoods, and there was a sign that said, uh, this entire hotel was built with one redwood, and that's always stuck with me. But when you see these monsters, and it just looks like the limbs are just scratching the sky, I mean, it's just amazing. The root system is they run really shallow. Isn't that interesting? You would think it run almost 100 feet deep because these are almost 200 feet, some of these redwoods, but not at all. Matter of fact, they don't even get to 10 foot, but they go 100 feet wide. And there's this intricate system, and all these roots are pulling together. And that's what keeps it all together, is that they're linked up with the root system from all the other redwoods. And I think that's the church. 
That's the root system of the church. We're all just in this crazy thing called life, and we're bound together. And as we grow, we all grow in Jesus Christ. We all are doing everything we can to grow generations. And then last of all, it says, of what Christ-led influencers were investing in leaders. Now, guess what? You're all leaders. We're all in this together. And yet we need to do a better job as a church of how do we encourage and equip our leaders. For example, here on the west side, we have 16 teams doing all kinds of things. We have 16 going on 17 life groups. Just think of all the leaders and and all the folks that just need to be encouraged. And I can't thank all of you enough. But what does it mean to equip? With that Greek word equip, if you break it down, the definition is to repair and to prepare. And I love that. And repair is simply this. If you're a human being, you're going to have seasons in life that life is hard. Whether you're a leader or not, that life is hard. And you need a church that says, hey, we're here to come with you and love on you and love with you and realize that there are seasons where we just need to encourage you. But we also need to be the kind of church that prepares you to serve others. I mean, how can we do a better job at preparing you to do that? Uh, Not just give you, if you remember back in the day, I grew up in a little bitty church of Christ, and I'm not kidding, they would look for a warm body, and uh, they'd say, we need a Sunday school teacher, and they'd hand you like, here's the teaching guide, we'll see you at the second coming. You ever been in that situation? Like, there's no training or equipping, it's just like, there's a desperate need, take it, okay? We want to do better than that. We want to do a much better job of encouraging and equipping our leaders. I think that is so critical. In fact, you know in Exodus 18, it's a great story where Moses is overwhelmed, which I don't understand why Moses wasn't overwhelmed every day of his life, but Moses was just overwhelmed. His father-in-law came to him and said, you have got to start delegating. You cannot take care of all of the problems of all the people. And I love this. It said, Moses, listen to him. That's what we need to do is help each other out. It's been said, and I agree, sometimes the church looks like an NFL football game. You know what I mean? An NFL football game, there's 50,000 people in dire need of exercise, screaming at 22 people in dire need of rest. And sometimes that's what the church looks like. It's like, oh, go, 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 get them, go get them. No, no, everybody, roll up your sleeves. Everybody, it's time to work. There's no time to sit back and let somebody else do the work. We're all called to work. We're all called to make a difference. Now, this whole series, these next few weeks, is based on a show, and we totally stole the name because we love it, and it's the show This Is Us. And uh, to be honest with you, I, my daughters and my wife love this show, and I wasn't going to give into it because I thought it sounds like a chick flick, you know. And then I started watching a few episodes, and I'm telling you, it is powerful. And one of the things I love about the show is they show you how complicated a family is, and they do a lot of flashbacks in it. But not only is a family complicated, a family is what everybody desires. And I think over these weeks, that's what we want to paint the picture of, is we're part of a family that we want everybody to desire to be a part of. Those of you that are visiting, I hope you'll come back to see some of the, and hear some of the strategies of of what's coming. Let me share with you a couple of of statistics that I think will blow you away. Uh, Tom Ellsworth, the senior minister in Sherwood Oaks, uh, came in 1981. And the first Sunday that Tom came uh, to Sherwood Oaks, 
they were under 100 folks, okay? So they've grown a little bit since 1981. So last Sunday uh, was Easter Sunday. At all three campuses, there were 5,154 folks at the three campuses. That's pretty crazy. Now, uh, counting, and you know ministers do this all the time. So if you count the sunrise service, which I like to call the Polar Bear Express last Sunday. Um, so if you count that with our services here, uh, we had 615 folks here on the west side. Now, think about that. Now, that's pretty cool. Now, here's the one that gets me. With our workers and our kids, this doesn't even count our junior high and high school, just the workers and the kids was 105. Now, why do I share that? I want you to look around at every room and realize, what if that happens every Sunday? which I hope it does. It just means we all have to step up and help and serve. Uh, we want to grow, but we want to we wanna grow the right way, and the way that we grow is we all work together to lead Christ-led influencers. I want to close with a uh, minister wrote this book called Bold Moves, and it was a journal entry. And uh, and I read that, I, I thought, that's exactly the way I want to live my life. He's, he's nailed this thing perfectly, and I want you to hear this. Um, he said the following words, If I pour my life into buildings, they will eventually be torn down. And if I pour my life into projects, they'll come to an end. Or if I pour my life into my personal goals, they will become obsolete. Or if I pour my life into experiences, they'll become distant memories. If I pour my life into pleasure, it won't last. But if I pour my life into knowing Jesus and training others to help others do the same, then what I do in this life will never fade from the earth and will echo into eternity. And that's what it's all about. When you invest in people, and it's messy, but if you can give them the greatest gift, and that is Jesus Christ, that gift will live long after you've left this planet. Uh, I had a brother in Christ this morning, and he shared, you know, John, uh, they don't have U-Hauls attached to hearses. You can't take it with you. It's what we do with one another, investing in one another, growing each other up so that others can hear the goodness and the love of Jesus Christ.